Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of the Sideline View Podcast, the official NBA podcast of the TalkCast Network. Full disclosure, guys, I just recorded this episode, talked for like 40 minutes, and realized my computer wasn't recording me the entire time. So I'm not in the best mood right now. But I'll get over it. I'll just talk for another at least 30 minutes. I probably won't talk as long as last time because I just said it. But you guys didn't hear it. So here we go again. Back in action with the NBA. We've had an insane playoffs so far. I think the best of my lifetime. I know there was a crazy time back in 2004. uh, At least like one game we had uh, Kobe hit uh, clutch. Uh, mid-range jumper then Duncan went down and hit a one-legged falling away fade away with 0.4 seconds left put the Spurs up and then uh, Derek Fisher comes in and hits his shot and the Lakers win it I mean I've seen that a lot on Twitter recently so that's fresh in my mind that's 04 I really can't think though of an entire playoffs that have been better than what we've seen this year I mean we've had three game sevens we've had two series ending buzzer beaters both were insane shots, one from 37 feet away on a step back, and the other hit the rim 37 times before it went in. So about about the most dramatic fashion we could have seen so far in uh, in the playoffs. And uh, it's very evident. By, when you see Kawhi actually yelling and showing emotion, you know it's big time. You know we've really stumbled across something special in these playoffs to have Kawhi acting so rambunctious. <laughs> he toned himself down though quite a bit for the the, po- the press conference after the game. They told him that was the first buzzer beater ever in a game seven to win the series. And he just sat there and looked at the guy. <laughs> but uh, that's the first thing I want to get into is Kawhi and that ridiculous shot he hit to sink the Sixers. And what I really want to talk about is Something I did not anticipate would need to be talked about at all. But I saw Skip Bayless talking on FS1, this show with uh, with Shannon, and he's he's I don't know what his point was. I don't really know what he was getting at. But he was bringing up the point that Kawhi needed 39 shots to score his 41 points, meaning he missed 23 shots. And I don't know why that matters at all. If anything, if the only reason it does matter is to me, that propels him even more into superstar status. And now that might not make much sense initially. Why does needing 39 shots to score 41 points and shooting 41% from the field, how does that help your case as being a superstar? Well, I don't think it's very hard to, to understand that as seen by how many Kobe fans there are out in the world. What is the thing that Kobe fans appreciate so much about Kobe himself? It's that Mamba mentality that, you know what, if my shot's not dropping, we're going to keep shooting him because me shooting these shots is much better than our second best option shooting these shots. My, my if, if you think Kawhi took 15 shots too many and should have taken 24 in the game, well, who are you giving those 15 other shots to? You want... Pascal Siakam taking eight more shots and Kyle Lowry shooting seven more? I don't think so. I think I'd rather just live with my superstar and the guy we traded our already franchise guy for in order to get 
I want that guy taking him. And most guys in that position wouldn't be willing to take that many shots when they're having that bad of a shooting night already. I think it got to a point where Kawhi was 8 for 24, I believe. He got to that point in the game where I mean he's shooting 33% on 24 shots taken already. That's a time where a lot of stars are going to dial it back. They're going to say, all right, it's not dropping. I get it to game seven, but I'm not going to shoot 20% this game. I'm not going to keep forcing up shots and risk shooting 20% in a game seven closeout game where like if you shoot 20% in that type of game and you took 40 shots, you are going to get ripped to shreds by the media. I don't care how quiet of a guy you are like Kawhi. You shoot 20% on 40 shots, you will get ripped to shreds. So he ran that risk of missing over and over again, over and over again, as he kept taking these shots, and he didn't care. He knew sometimes the most unselfish thing to do is to do the quote-unquote selfish thing by taking more and more shots. I'm sure Kawhi didn't want to have to keep taking all those shots. He didn't want to have to keep coming down every possession and taking tough fadeaway mid-range shots and and whatnot. It's most guys don't want to actually do that every single time down. You do it because you have to, and it's the best chance you're going to give your team to win. And so that's the Mamba mentality. It's a tough thing to teach. I think for some guys, you can drill through their head enough to where they eventually get to that point, but it takes time. And the fact that Kawhi uh, uh, Kawhi already has it, I love to see it. And I think his game of 39 shots to get 41 points, 100% propels him even more into superstar status in my mind. And I think in a lot of other people's minds, I I get that might not sound right to say that a bad shooting night really helps your case in any way, but there are a lot of Kobe fans. And I think every one of them would understand what I'm getting at with that point. I mean, also to me, it's not that terrible of a shooting. He shot 41% from the field. And to me, if your best score gets to their average or is either close to their average in scoring or they succeed or whatever, like they get, they get a good a number of points, and they shoot over 40% from the field. It wasn't that terrible a shooting night. You make one more shot, and you're probably shooting 44 or 45%, like depending on how many shots you take. You're like one shot away from being pretty efficient. So on a one-game basis, that's not that bad. Over a whole season, yeah, 41% is not real great. But uh, that, that's what I'm getting at. That like One game of shooting 40% is not that bad, big of a deal. It's not necessarily a bad thing. And uh, so I really respect him, though, that he was shooting way worse than 40%, kept on going, kept uh, kept his uh, foot on the pedal, got the job done. And that job would not have gotten done if 15 of those shots were taken by different teammates other than him. So kudos to him for that. Anyone who has anything bad to say about him, you're just being ridiculous. <laughs> just give him his credit. A great game by him and absolutely nuts buzzer beater a great picture that, that uh was captured to to capture the moment of uh him and Embiid and whoever else that was on the bench who wasn't dressed i i really know a lot of nba players usually i can name like a lot not everybody but quite a few of the guys on the bench who aren't getting any minutes i don't know who that guy was <laughs> wearing the uh i think he was wearing taxi 12 uh jordans so that that's all how i'll uh, identify him but uh all of them staring up at the at the shot. Pretty cool picture. And then Kawhi's emotion after the fact. The coolest thing probably of the playoffs uh, to hype him up a little bit. But uh, I think ultimately for them, I think they lose in six to the Bucks next round. I wanted to say seven initially because they just seem like such evenly matched teams. 
but I don't think they're as evenly matched as we all thought heading into the playoffs. Both these teams were looked at as really deep teams, having a lot of firepower off the bench. And for the Bucks, that's remained true in the playoffs. For the Raptors, I think they've exposed themselves quite a bit. Uh, they only played seven players in that game seven, as did Philly. They played Greg Monroe for a minute. I don't really count that. Excluding him, they played only seven guys as well. So only bringing two guys off of your bench to insert into the game, that's a very thin, a very thin bench uh, on their part. And I couldn't, I can't see the Bucks ever having a game where they only bring up two guys off of their bench to put into the game because they just have too much depth. I mean, I don't. It doesn't matter how well Brook Lopez is playing. Ilyasova and Maricic are both going to get a crack at it at some point in the game because they're just they're too talented not to play at all, and they got plenty of other guys off their bench uh, who can give quality minutes. So I think depth will prevail, as well as uh, more more talent at the top for the Bucks. I I think uh, between Giannis, Middleton, uh, even Bledsoe to an extent. I mean they've they've got. Very good firepower. Even Malcolm Brogdon is just a really unbelievably good player. And I think uh, they have enough uh, all-star caliber talent to get past the Raptors without needing a seventh game to do it. Because while I love Pascal Siakam, the drop-off between him, between Kawhi to him is pretty significant. And then down to Kyle Lowry. I can't criticize Lowry too much. I got to give him some slack. I feel like I just have to because he's such a normal dude. If you go to any YMCA right now and see a pickup game, you're going to see five guys out there all built the same way as Kyle Lowry. I don't care if he's listed at six foot. He looks like he's five, six and he's chubby. And so he's just a totally normal dude playing against freak of nature's uh, freaks of nature. <laughs> That's what I'd say. So uh, he's, I don't know how much you can really expect from him. I get he's, racked up some all-star appearances in his career, but there is only so much you can really expect out of that guy in the playoffs. And I think he does as well as he can. He gives what he has. And so I don't see much value in, in wasting breath, criticizing a guy who I don't think many of us could really imagine him playing all that much better. Maybe he can make a few more shots, but he's not really going to do a whole lot more than what he already does. So those are my thoughts on that. Great, great series uh, right there. And I think uh, it will end, though, for the Raptors in six to the Bucks. Could be wrong, though, because, you know, what do I know? Um, now, turning the attention to the team that lost in that series with the Sixers. I uh, Well, first, there's uh, the Ben Simmons, uh, or not Ben Simmons, uh, Joel Embiid uh, crying incident after the game. I don't even think Ben Simmons would ever cry after a game because he doesn't really look like he cares all that much in my opinion, but I digress. Um, uh, Joel instantly, like as soon as that shot went in from Kawhi, like just instantly like bursting into tears. And I mean, I can't help. I mean, I don't know how heartless people are, but I, I can't help but feel kind of bad for him in that moment. At least. I mean, those are real emotions. And I mean, I, I, I do agree. He's an emotional person and I think he is emotionally immature. Um, that's why you see him taking Instagram to clown Andre Drummond when he, he owns him in a game, uh, talking mess to uh, Hassan Whiteside on Twitter. I mean, he is an immature dude, uh, 
but he's a character and just like every movie needs characters the nba to make it as great of a league as it is it needs characters too and people have to understand that and i think joel Embiid plays his uh his character as a likable villain to a t and a lot of people really like him for how he acts a lot of people really hate him but that's what makes the NBA so great. I mean, I can't think of maybe it's because I don't follow the NFL and MLB as close, but there aren't as many characters in that regard in each of those leagues as you see in the NBA, which is what I think has really helped it propel itself in the last couple of years into being by far the best professional sports league in the world. If you disagree, it's all right. You're entitled to your own opinion, but you're also entitled to be wrong, and that's what you are. Because to me, I just think the NBA is just, especially in recent years, has just put itself head and shoulders above the other professional leagues in terms of just pure entertainment and uh, the value you get, uh, just the bang for your buck, I guess. If you're going to spend two hours watching a game, you're going to just get a lot more out of it than, than other sports, especially if you follow along outside of the game. But uh, digressing on that, uh for Embiid in that moment, I mean, I definitely do feel for him. Uh, I think people who are taking shots at him at the moment for that, it's just kind of a cheap shot. It's like just kicking a guy when they're down. And I get it. I, I totally understand that you're, people are going to say, okay, well, if he's going to talk, uh, talk all this mess and stuff throughout the season, you got to take it. Like you got to, it's going to come back at you. It's going to come back and bite you. You better perform because People are out to get you. They like they they wanna they wanna make you feel how you've made them feel and and all that stuff. But you know him crying right there. That shows me that he does feel it. He feels that that pain of of losing that game already enough. I don't feel like I just I wouldn't feel like a good person if I were one of those people adding to the pain that he's obviously feeling. I mean, he's a competitor. Puts his his heart and soul into the game. And that's evident by the growth we've seen in him so quickly in his career. He's made himself into such a great player. Um, I mean, I I can't fault him for crying. Come on now. I mean, it, it's an emotional game. And, you know, if uh, if that's the emotion he feels, then uh, it's it kind of gives you goosebumps to see that emotion, just that raw emotion just come out of a guy so quickly. And it, uh, so, yeah, so I, I have no criticism of him for that. If anything, I just – be kind of critical of people who who are taking shots at him while he's down, kicking him while he's down at this moment. So with that being said, it is now time for me to be a little critical, hopefully not too hypocritical because I had just uh, talked up and beat a bit, but now be a little critical of him in some regard, uh, but not, however, for showing emotion. And I tweeted about this on uh, on Twitter again. If you don't follow on Twitter, you should definitely do it. It's at the sideline view pod. And uh, so I, I tweeted this uh, little, I guess, quote unquote, hot take, which I don't think is a hot take because it just is what it is. Like, I'm going to bring up the facts for you guys and, and show you why I'm saying what I'm saying. And I, I don't think it's a hot take, but uh, a couple of people uh, seem to take a special interest to it. And I understand why, because it doesn't quite sound right when you first say it. So uh, my take being in the regular season, Joel Embiid is Hakeem Olajuwon. When it comes to time for the playoffs, though, Joel Embiid is Jermaine O'Neal. And that's not the worst thing in the world you could be called if you're Joel Embiid. I mean, 
Jermaine O'Neal was no slouch as a player. He had a nice six-year prime, made six straight All-Star appearances, had three All-NBAs, won a Most Improved Player um, award uh, to, to kick off that six years. So no slouch as a player. I mean, he's a, actually a borderline Hall of Fame player with six All-Star appearances to his name. I mean, based on how the Basketball Hall of Fame does it, it's one of the easier Hall of Fames to get into. I don't think you will make it in, but he would have a case. Six All-Stars, three All-NBAs. Um, they're guys with less who have made it in. But uh, nonetheless, uh, let's. Uh, I'm going to dive into the stats, basically, that back up that claim. And I don't think I need to defend the whole Embiid is like Elijah one in the regular season thing too much because I'm definitely not the first person to say that. There have been plenty of comparisons on TV um, with, with the two of them. But... I'll just dive into that real quick. Uh, each of them averaged about 20 a game in their rookie seasons. Um, however, Embiid was doing that in 10 less minutes per game. Because if you guys remember, he was only playing 25 minutes per game in his rookie season, which is absurd then to get 20 points per game in that time. Um, he does have he did have factors, however, uh, going in his favor, such as not playing back to back. So he was pretty fresh when he was out there. Only played 31 games the entire season. Uh, as he eventually got shut down. And when he was in the game, everything was running through him because he wasn't going to be out there for that long. So when he was out there, there wasn't going to be any lulls where he's just not getting the ball. Like he was going to get it every time. And he was free to do it. He wanted with it, um, especially since the team was no good. <laughs> and uh, so, but very, very similar stats, rookie year for them, 20 points per game. And Elijah Wan was getting 12 rebounds. Embiid's only getting eight. But again, that's a difference of 10 minutes per game. Embiid still was getting two and a half blocks per game, just like Elijah Wan. So pretty impressive stuff. From there, you basically just see Embiid speed up his progression as a player, uh, as opposed to Elijah Wan. Over the next three years for Elijah Wan, he would get about 23 points per game, 11 and a half rebounds and uh, about three blocks per game as uh, being a great shot blocker as he was. And so Embiid, like you see the almost the exact same numbers, but just for one year instead of a three-year period where there's not really any growth. He did that for one year where he got 23 points, 11 rebounds, and got about two blocks per game. So a little less on the blocks, but the same player as Hakeem was, but he did it just for one year before he stepped up to the next level, took um, Hakeem a little longer, to do it, he uh, he improved in other areas though. Before getting to his peak as a scorer, I mean, he had a season where he averaged an absurd four and a half blocks per game while he was getting fourteen rebounds. I mean, Akeem's a top ten player of all time for a reason. And uh, so it wasn't though until he was thirty one years old that he eclipsed twenty seven points per game, and he did that for two years in a row. Um, then he had a season at 26.9, so basically 27, but then would regress on the scoring. So uh, what I'm focusing in here, focusing in on is the two years where Akeem averaged over 27 per game, and then Embiid this year with his stats, as he also averaged over 27 a game. So comparing those two guys, Akeem 27.5 points, 11.5 rebounds, 3.5 assists. Joel, 27.5 points, 13.5 rebounds, Three and a half assists. Um, then, in terms of blocks, um, we got Elijah Wan at three and a half and Joel at two. So, very, very comparable players. 
eating up on the the offense and defensive end, scoring a lot, rebounding a lot, being playmakers and such. Uh, the difference, I guess, is Elijah Wan was more efficient. He was shooting about 4% higher from the field at 52% as opposed to Embiid's 48 But I guess there is the statistical proof that r- regular season-wise, Joel Embiid is essentially Hakeem Olajuwon, the closest thing we've seen to a Hakeem-type player. I mean, I guess you can call Shaq after the fact. It was very similar, but um, that is uh, the best comparison for Embiid uh, regular season-wise. You dive into the playoff numbers, though, and it's a little more disappointing and a little discouraging, especially because of one stat I will bring up here uh, in a minute. But starting off with just simple raw numbers uh, to compare him to Jermaine O'Neal. When I compare him to Jermaine O'Neal, I'm talking about O'Neal's playoff stats. He also regressed in the playoffs the same way Embiid has, but he was regressing from a a lower uh, statistical status. And so Jermaine O'Neal did struggle quite mightily in a couple playoffs. So when I'm talking comparisons right here, I'm saying Embiid is like Elijah one, the regular season Elijah one. And then when I say he was playing like Jermaine O'Neal in the playoffs. That's Embiid in the playoffs compared to O'Neal in the regular season. So just to clarify that. Um, Jermaine O'Neal, though, over his six-year prime, 20.5 points, 10 rebounds, 2 assists. Joel in the playoffs, 20.5 points, 11.5 rebounds, 3 assists. So very comparable numbers, just a couple, like a rebound and a half more per game and one more assist. That's, that's the only difference between... Embiid in two years in the playoffs compared to Jermaine O'Neal. And then if you check out shot blocking, about the same thing. Jermaine O'Neal is slightly better, though, with two and a half blocks per game, and Embiid's getting two. Um, So, yeah, you're splitting hairs there. But basically what I'm getting at, very comparable stats between those two. And then the discouraging part for me is when you get into the field goal percentage. And we're looking at a decent sample size with Joel Embiid, 19 games now, and this is just two years in the playoffs. I mean, you could be out of the playoffs in four games. So essentially, you could spend five years in the playoffs, get swept each year, and then play a total of 20 games. Like, it could take you five years to play 20 games in the playoffs. He's played just about 20 games in just two years. So we've pretty quickly seen uh, an ample sample size for him in the playoffs. Um. I don't want to make too big of a deal of it because it is just 19 games, but these are 19 meaningful games where every game is game planned for, every game there are adjustments being made, every single one of them has immediate implications for how the series will be impacted as opposed to regular season where 19 games, there is more slippage allowed in those games as opposed to the playoffs where each one means more individually. But um, with, with that sample size we have of Embiid, He's sitting at 43% from the field. Compare that to Jermaine O'Neal, who one of the reasons are very comparable players is because both don't have a real great shot selection. And Bede loves taking long twos, shots off of one foot. A lot of shots that you're just like, that's probably not going in. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. But he does he doesn't impose his will quite as much as most fans of him would like him to. He's too big and too strong to not be just dominating people in the post as much as as much as he should. And he he bails his defender out uh, more often than I believe he should. And Jermaine O'Neal was 
very similar in that regard, taking a lot of long contested twos, essentially taking no threes per game. Obviously, with the way analytics have shifted, that wouldn't be allowed anymore. And so now, even though Embiid does take a lot of long contested twos as well, he's also taking over three threes per game. So there has been a bit of um, a correction made in the shot selections just based on the era that the game is played in. But Jermaine O'Neal shot 46% from the field in that six-year prime I'm, I'm checking out. And so that's actually better than what Embiid has shot in his two seasons now in the postseason at 43%. So do I think it's ridiculous to compare him to Jermaine O'Neal? Not even a little bit. I don't think it's a hot take. I don't think it's a medium take. I think it's just the facts. <laughs> the numbers just are what they are. He simply plays like Hakeem Olajuwon when he's in the regular season. He simply plays like Jermaine O'Neal when he's in the playoffs. And that just is what it is. Um, I, I think uh, he's got plenty of time to grow, obviously. And I think he will. And I hope he does because, I mean, I don't think he's maxed out his potential nearly uh, even gotten close to it. Maybe in the playoffs or uh, regular season, maybe this is as good as the stats are going to be because it can't get much better. But playoffs, he has a lot of room to grow and looking forward to see that growth from him. And I believe he will because obviously we saw that emotion he showed and he really does care. He's not here just to collect stats. Uh, the way Ben Simmons seems to be. I don't mean to make accusations, but that's just the way I'm seeing it. And so I don't think Embiid's just here to collect stats. I think he really wants a place in history. He wants a legacy. He wants to win. And I, I think uh, part of what would, could have been on his mind, too, with what uh, bothered him so much about exiting early in the playoffs is that he probably knows as well as anyone else that he's underperformed up to this point. And He's a competitor. He likes to get the best of other people instead of letting them get the best of him. I'm sure he was looking forward to just like getting through this game seven, get to the conference finals, and then really show people like what he's talking about. Show him, show him everybody who he really is. And he didn't get a chance. Now he's gonna have to wait a whole another year before he can do that, and and that hurts. So uh, I don't think that's his only reason for being upset, but uh, I think that's part of it because uh, I think he really does care about that stuff as as he should. So. Uh, that's uh, I guess that's the end of my, my little take on uh, Embiid regular season to postseason. Uh, now, in terms of what they do with Ben Simmons, I saw a take by uh, uh, Chris Broussard a couple hours ago saying that the Sixers should be calling up the Rockets and offering Ben Simmons for Chris Paul. I still, I mean, I told you guys, like, I, I recorded this and I admitted the first time I recorded it, I'm not really positive how I feel about that. And now I've had even more time to think about it, even though I still just saw this take only a couple hours ago. I still don't really know how I feel about it. it the Sixers, it changes your timetable a lot because now you've got a much more veteran point guard nearing the end, more so than a guy who's just beginning. Um. And obviously now you take on Chris Paul's contract, that's going to be very tough to juggle that alongside Jimmy Butler and Tobias Harris. And you probably won't be able to juggle them all. You're going to have to let either one or both of those guys walk. And I don't know if Chris Paul is worth that at this stage, keeping him and possibly losing out on both of those guys. Um, 
So I don't I don't love it for Philly, who's already in a financial bind, trying to figure out who all they want to bring back and how much they're willing to pay everybody. You add a huge contract like CP3s to the fold. I'm not a big fan of that. Um, I don't know if people realize, like, initially when he signed that contract, I think I was only, I don't want to say I'm, like, one of the only ones, but, like, I'm the only person, like, I knew who was, like, alarmed by this, like, immediately, like, when the Sixers signed him. I saw, like, people like, oh, like, that's great. The, the, the Rockets are really all in to win now. They just locked him up for the next four years. Like, the, he's not going anywhere. Like, they're, they're all in to do this. I looked at that deal. I was like, he's going to make $44 million when he's 37. He's not worth $44 million right now. <laughs> in, in four years, are you kidding me? There's no way they're going to want to be paying him that money. Like, they're going to be trying to do anything to get out from under that contract. And, I mean, Right now, I don't think they're desperate to get out from his contract, but if if uh, so, I, I looked at it from the Sixers standpoint. Now, looking at it from the the Rockets standpoint, I think they would accept that deal solely for financial purposes. I think they know that Chris Paul fits in with what they do better than Simmons does because the Rockets are all threes, shoot threes every single shot, and bringing a guy in who refuses to shoot threes obviously doesn't make any sense. If, if they brought in Ben Simmons, they're going to assign him a full-time job over the summer. He is going to have to clock in and clock out at the at the arena, and he's going to have to put in 40-plus hours a week, work weekends, work night shifts. He's going to have to be there 40-plus hours a week in the gym, working on his jumper. And if he is being given that full-time job, best believe he's not going to be alone. They're going to give uh, 10 other trainers the same schedule and say, you better be in there with this guy and possibly changing what hand he shoots with. He better come back next year with a three-point shot. Not just a mid-range shot, because we're the Rockets, so we don't shoot mid-range shots. So there are the, so there would be plenty of work to be done if they did acquire Ben Simmons in that type of deal. Um, so I, if that, that deal, I don't think that will be a deal that is on the table. But if it were, I think the Rockets would accept it. But... I don't think they'd be jumping up and down, hooting and hollering that they just made this deal. I don't think they'd be ecstatic. I think they'd be happy with it. They'd say, yes, we got out from that that terrible contract, taking on a, a guy on a rookie-scale deal who's already an all-star, a premier player in the league, great talent, and he's young. But we're going to have to put a lot of work in with this guy to make him fit what we're doing. And so – I do. I think. I don't think the Sixers would take that deal. I don't. Well, I don't think they would propose it in the first place. I don't think they would take it if it were accept. Uh, I don't think they would accept it if it were proposed to them. Um, however, I think the Rockets would go ahead and do it half reluctantly because they know they're not getting a, a perfect fit back in return. But uh, moving on from all of that, uh, let's get into uh, the Blazers Nuggets series and. It was a great one. Uh, game seven as well. CJ, I, I hope the trainers are uh, doing what they can to uh, ice his back, uh, give him massages. You know, he's got to be worn out. He carried the team on his back the entire night. I thought he was only going to have to carry him for the first half. I wasn't worried. Um, I, I mean, I was rooting for the Blazers in the series, and I was tweeting at halftime saying, you know what? Like, we're cool. Dame has played terrible, and we're still right here. Dame time always comes on time. He will be here. He'll 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 pick up the slack, and CJ will just keep eating the way he is, regardless. 
well, no help ever came. <laughs> no one played well for the Blazers except CJ. So he just put the team on his back, did himself, got the thing done. And uh, I'm really hoping these playoffs propel him into the All-Star game next year. I mean, sometimes throughout history, you'll see guys have good string together a lot of good regular seasons in a row. And then all of a sudden they have a really big breakout playoffs and it kind of just puts the rest of the league on notice. They're like, oh, like that guy's legit. He's not just a regular season guy. He's not just a get your stats type guy. That that guy carries teams. He gets wins. That he what he does translates into postseason winning, which is the biggest type of winning you can do in basketball. And so I'm really hoping that these playoffs will just put it in the all-star voters' head next year that this is an all-star. This is an all-star talent and a guy who rightfully should be in the all-star game. And uh, so I'm really hoping he'll have a good series uh, against the Warriors and that it'll help help propel him into uh, the rest of his career, especially into a couple more all-star games to come. But uh, awesome game by him, by uh, my boy CJ. Super clutch shot at the end, uh, hitting that shot on Torrey Craig. And man, he gets a shot off so well. I, I think he gets more – I think he creates – better shots than Dame does. Again, I'm not trying to make a hot take. I'm just simply like, this is the eye test. I think he he creates a lot more space on his step backs than Dame does. When Dame's taking shots, they seem a lot more contested than when CJ does. He just, he creates, he simply creates more space. He gets away from his defender better to get better looks. I'm not saying he's a better player. I just, I think he creates better open looks for himself than Dame does. I don't know. What I'm really getting at by saying that I just kind of want to brag on him because he's really freaking good. And I just, I really want the rest of the world to like acknowledge that he's by far the best player in the league to have not made an all-star team up to this point of guys who have played like five years or more. Like Luke, I'm not saying like, I don't want to compare CJ McCollum to Luka Doncic. It's, that'd be a pointless debate, but talking about guys who've been around, who've been putting up all-star numbers for a long time and still haven't made it. Come on now. Mike Conley, nah, nah, nah. CJ's 10 times better than Mike Conley. He's the best player in the league who has yet to make an all-star team. And so I hope that changes soon. And moving on to uh, what is to come for CJ and the Blazers, I, th- I think they only got four more games until the finals. I mean, I don't know uh, if they'll just want to win at home so they'll uh, give the Warriors an extra game. Uh, uh, I, I mean, I'm not. I, I don't think uh, this will be a very long series. I think they'll they'll take care of the Warriors in four games. Uh, and don't take me very serious on this. I'm really, really trying hard to speak things into existence. I would really love to see the the Warriors or the the Warriors' little reign come to an end here at the hands of the Blazers, especially since uh, KD was a little disrespectful to my boy CJ last year on the pull up pod and. Uh, Sky laughed at him, said, you know, like, you know you guys can't win a championship. Like, you and Dame are pretty pretty tough to stop, but you, you don't have enough. Like, you're not you're not winning a championship. And, uh, you know, I mean, CJ didn't have a whole lot to say in terms of, like, what they had done in the playoffs. He's like, yeah, we, we got swept two years in a row. Like, what can I say back? But, you know what? He's going he's gonna to keep the faith. He said anything's possible. They can do it. They have enough. They can do it. And you know what? They've done it. They're here in the conference finals against the odds. A lot of people didn't think they were even going to win the first round. 
and they're here in the conference finals. So if they can do this, they can do anything. And the Warriors are just supposed to be done after this year. And so let's just end it a little quicker. Let's do it in this round. Let's do it in four games. And I'm going to keep saying it until it happens. And if it doesn't happen in four, I'll just keep readjusting it to however many games they need. If they go and lose game one, then it's Blazers in five. I'm just going to keep readjusting my prediction until it happens. So right now it is Blazers in four. <laughs> um, so that uh, that is the uh, my other prediction for the conference finals, along with my uh, my Bucks and six pick as well. Um, that that's uh, all I've got to say in terms of uh, the play that's gone on on the court so far. Just real quickly though, I mean, there's a lot to be talked about. Be uh, talked about in terms of uh, coaching changes. Stuff has now been made official. We knew the, the Lakers were searching and striking out, but they finally hired their coach. Uh, officially did it with Frank Vogel, and they decided that their second choice would just be his assistant. So when, uh, if and when it doesn't work out with old Frank, they'll just move Jason Kidd into the starting to the uh, head coaching spot. So fire Frank Vogel, I wouldn't be all that happy with that, but uh, he was happy enough to, to take the money and go with it. Um, so I don't know if he'll, uh, he'll last his entire three-year deal, but uh, that, that is yet to be seen. I Nothing against Frank Vogel whatsoever, but I hope he doesn't last three years because that means there's more dysfunction with the Lakers, and I am all here for that, as you guys probably know and uh, I absolutely love uh, Laker fans just taking ownership of this thing you know you gotta fight injustice you gotta fight when things are wrong and just being handled poorly and the Lakers management has been atrocious in the past like decade and the Lakers fans had enough and all eight of them showed up to protest around the Staples Center and it was a great sight to watch. And, uh, I mean, it didn't look like all that serious of a protest. I think it was just mostly people, kind of just teenagers, people my age, who just wanted to go be on TV and uh, get their clout up. But, uh, you know, anytime you uh, get to witness Laker fans in disarray at what is going on, the whole debacle that is around them right now, it just, it just warms my soul, makes me feel good. You know, I, I slept a little better at night after I saw those protests. And uh, especially when my boy Clipper Durrell came through. Clipper Durrell is now one of my favorite people in the world. Came through telling them, you know what? The, the tides have turned. This is a Clipper town now. The Clippers are it. And I am all here for that. So keep keep letting them know what's up, Clipper Durrell. I am all here for it. <laughs> so, uh I mean, that, that's what's going on at Laker World. Uh, back uh, in my neck of the woods over here in Ohio, though, the Cavs found their coach with uh, John Beeline. And I'm a big fan of that hire for sure. He's actually like the sole reason I've been um, a Michigan basketball fan over the last couple of years. That's um, really weird. I don't think a whole lot of people choose their, uh, their favorite college team based on the coach but for me like the, the teams change every year and i mean like i don't know if you guys are, know uh, any seinfeld references but like it's like rooting for laundry i'm not here to like root for laundry and just like always cheer for this team and cheer for these guys because they're wearing this jersey and like i mean like the celtics are my team where like i will just root for the laundry like 
if you're in a Celtics uniform, I will be rooting for you, um, no matter who you are. But uh, outside of that, I've never been able to just like in every league and every uh, like professional college, I can't just go find a team that I'm just going to be a diehard fan of. Um, so there's really just got to be something that, that pulls me into the team. And uh, in college, I mean, there's so many one and dones. And even if you're not one and done at max, you're going to be there four years. And so teams just change every year. And so I just, I mean, I just root for whatever teams I've, I've enjoyed watching that year. Whoever um, it's just, is fun to watch and whatever storyline I'm, I'm into. I mean, that's who I'm going to root for. I don't think that's too crazy of a thing, but uh, so John Beeline, just a very good coach. Uh, someone kind of like CJ, who got it up out the mud. You know, he was a high school coach back before he had 10 assistants on his bench and, 30 team managers, the way you do at Michigan at all the big D1 programs. All back before that, he was a high school coach, probably sweeping the floor on his own, uh, traveling to, to camps and stuff all throughout the summers and just on that high school coach grind. So so I appreciate that about him uh, coming up out of the ranks. And now he's in the NBA. Um, and so I I love the hire for the Cavs. I, re- I really, really don't think they could have found a better basketball coach than him. I don't know for sure if it'll turn into wins immediately for them, but I don't think they could have found a better basketball coach available to hire. So I I love the hire Uh, five years. He'll be like 200 years old by the time that deal is up. I just kidding. John Feline, you're looking young out there. You're you're cool, man. But uh, it, it, I think that uh, that's as good of a hire as you can make if you're Cleveland. So all positive thoughts in uh, in that regard with the Cavs. All negative thoughts for me, as always, in Lakerland because I'm I starting to allow my biases to show on here. And, uh, I mean, that's about all I have uh, in terms of what's been going on in the NBA. Again, a great playoff so far. I think the best of my lifetime. Again, I mean, I haven't been around that long, but uh, – I think in my lifetime, these have been the best playoffs. It's been absolutely nuts. And so I'm looking forward to more of that. Hope you guys are looking forward to more of that. It gives me more great things to talk about, more things for you guys to listen to. And if today, if you heard anything that you did enjoy, even just one thing, just even a half thing, even if you hate everything I said, but you also hate the Lakers, just make sure you uh, you subscribe and stuff and uh, share the podcast with, with a loved one or hated one, or anyone you know, any person you run into. Just just let them know about it, because uh, it helps helps grow the brand, you know, and I'd appreciate it. So if you made it this far, really, really appreciate that, and have a great one. Peace.